1: Today, I am thrilled to be talking to Thais Gibson about reprogramming your subconscious mind to transform your life. Thais Gibson is the founder of the Personal Development School, where she has worked with clients around the world to help them transform their life, relationships, and overcome substantial challenges. She's the author of Attachment Theory, A guide to strengthening the relationships in your life. And she very much believes in the power of working with the subconscious to alter how you show up in the world, which is exactly what I so love looking for learning about and sharing. So welcome, Thais.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'm excited to be here. Super fun. And My first question is, what superpower did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind?
2: The superpower I definitely uncovered was how to emotionally regulate. So I I sort of grew up in in a household where there was quite a bit of trauma. And I think sort of the byproduct of that is I really struggled um, in my early adult life, like sort of late teens, early 20s, to... Regulate Like I would get very angry, very defensive, very frustrated, um, which we know sort of comes out of, of being exposed to significant trauma in childhood. And, and one thing that I learned through a lot of research was that we have pain and suffering at the emotional level. And emotional pain is whenever we have an unmet need. And so that's technically a good thing because that's trying to help us evolve and survive. So if you think about it just from a purely biological perspective, if we had hunger pains, we would seek food. We would, if we felt cold, we would seek shelter. Like pain is there to actually help us adapt and evolve. And so emotional pain is actually doing the same thing. It's letting us know when we have an unmet need. Maybe we feel lonely and it's because we have an unmet need for love and connection that we have to act on and strategize on behalf of. But then suffering is the story we tell about the pain. So if we have an unmet need for love and connection, and we go, oh, it's because I'm unlovable. It's because I'm not good enough. I'm gonna be alone forever. The meaning we give to that is our suffering. And those are the only reasons, period, that we have emotional pain or suffering whatsoever. So when we wanna learn to emotionally regulate, all we have to do is ask ourselves, what's the story I'm telling myself? How can I reframe my thinking to something more empowering? And then what is the need I don't have met that this pain here is giving me feedback on behalf of. It's actually helping to guide me. And what is a strategy I can come up with to start actioning that need? And as long as we always do those things, we always get relief. And so this was a huge gift for myself as somebody who struggled to emotionally regulate. And when we rinse and repeat this process, we start reprogramming the subconscious mind because the subconscious is programmed through repetition plus emotion. So when we can rinse and repeat, changing our thinking and perspectives on things, and then actually learning to meet our needs and seeing pain as sort of a a positive thing that's there to guide us and help support us into growing, then we really, really change our ability to process our emotions. And and it absolutely changes the the subconscious landscape for what triggers us.
1: Wow, that was such a great explanation of how to get... Um, to just cut through all of the energy of emotion and stories that swirl and, and make sense of them.
2: Yes. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because whenever we go through tra- trauma, we imprint ourselves, right? Our, the mind seeks to give meaning to sort of process and have understanding about its experiences. And, and when we have meaning that we can give to things, it also sort of helps us to feel safe. So like, let's say for example, Somebody grows up in a a home where they have a verbally abusive parent. Okay, let's say the parent's super critical. Well, The child is probably going to give meaning to try to understand the situation like, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm a failure. And then as we are exposed to that in a repetitive way, that starts to become part of our subconscious identity because it's imprinted upon the subconscious. And then we carry these stories and and you can think of the subconscious mind as sort of being like the perceptual lens we see and interact with the world through. It's sort of our filter, but the filter gets sort of clogged up with these different narratives that we have because of of traumatic experiences, aka anything we couldn't just properly emotionally process at the time. And so much of healing actually requires us to be able to be like, what is in my filter system? Like what imprints did I collect because of painful things that I've experienced? And how can I start questioning these things instead of just automatically buying into them? And as we question these things and as we look for supporting proof against them, like to see how we actually are good enough. We are capable of succeeding. As we do that work, we start to unravel those imprints. And and that's a huge component of what healing is. And again, as we rinse and repeat that, We start programming new imprints and new narratives. And from a neuroplastic perspective, as we no longer fire and wire those old painful stories about ourselves, those neural pathways atrophy over time, just like muscles. And as we fire and wire new stories in their place, those strengthen over time and they become a new part of the lens we see the world through.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay, listeners, go back and listen to that again, because that is exactly so much of the process of what this process of transformation is, is is getting the story, getting clear on it, and then making what I call new railroad tracks to a different part of your brain. Mm. So that is lovely. I want to really dig um, a little bit deeper in all of these, but we do need to go to a break first. Um, can you let people know, Thais, where they can
2: find out about your work Absolutely. So I put uh, pretty much daily content out on YouTube. It's personal development school dash Thais Gibson. And then I have um, a a community where I've written about 40 different courses, and that's at personaldevelopmentschool.com.
1: Great. Thanks. Um, Hang on, everyone. We will be right back and we're going to go Um, a little bit deeper about reprogramming your subconscious mind and everything Thais said. What does that mean for you and what do you do? Hang on.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. And we want to thank each of you
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm talking to Thais Gibson, the founder of the Personal Development School. So, Thais, one of the things that I um, want you to talk about is how we, um, like, what kinds of things are considered trauma? Because You know, not everybody has experienced what classically would be considered trauma, but there's ways in which maybe we're young enough, we're not able to process or understand what's happening and how that can imprint. Absolutely.
2: I think this is such an important discussion topic. So, trauma is anything that we couldn't properly emotionally process at the time. And so we stored and we sort of reorganized our perceptions around instead. And you can think of it as existing along a continuum. So we could have low level trauma from, you know, repeatedly being criticized and then feeling like, wow, our parents aren't connecting to us or, or loving us, or we could have, you know, high level trauma, like physical abuse, sexual abuse, these sorts of things. And what's really interesting is that if, if we have repeated low-level trauma, it sort of has the same output over time as, as one, in, one trauma in particular that's a high-level trauma. So if we have one really painful high-level trauma, it can create a deep imprint because the way the subconscious mind is imprinted is most so through emotion. So it, you can sort of think of it from the perspective if you've ever seen anybody get into a car accident. They may never have a core belief that says, I am unsafe, but they can get out of a car and have a car be in a car accident one single day and immediately leave that situation going, I am unsafe and believing that about themselves and their world. And it's because of the degree of emotion involved in that situation that has the, the capacity to more deeply imprint us right away, almost immediately. And then if we have somebody else who grows up in an unsafe environment, maybe they see lots of fighting with their parents, physical fighting, or just emotional fighting over time, if they're exposed to that repeatedly, it can actually have the same output of creating that core belief. I am unsafe, even though it may only have been like a consistent, you know, four out of 10 on the emotional scale. And so it's really important that we look at that because a lot of people will sort of downplay their experiences maybe sort of as a subconscious avoidance strategy at times, but, but you know, we we all go through some form of trauma. We all go through experiences we can't properly emotionally process. And what really matters is that we learn to look at what stories and narratives we're carrying now and what stories we have about ourselves and the world and other people. And if those are negatively oriented or fear-based, those are the things we really want to reprogram. And the very last thing I would say about this as well is that everybody goes through the trauma of classical conditioning. So even if you're like, but my childhood was perfect, or I've always been in healthy relationships or whatever narratives we might have. I mean, that's wonderful. But when we grow up in the system of punishment and reward, and when we get socialized into our environment, um, basically a child at the time this happens, they, they know very inherently that they're completely dependent on their caregivers for survival. Like without them, they would literally die. And so at around a year and a half, two years old, when this this system of socialization begins, where we're punished for doing things wrong and rewarded for doing things right, we essentially become afraid of the punishment. But we also become afraid of the rejection of not receiving the reward because we go, oh, my gosh, what if I'm getting rejected by my caregivers? What if they leave me? And so we we naturally get survival and approval confused and intertwined at a very young age. And that's sort of why we're such an approval-seeking species, But even though that system is so necessary, we then enact that in the relationship to ourselves. We're constantly in our own internal dialogue, punishing and rewarding ourselves or, oh, that was good. Oh, that was bad. You idiot. Why did you do that? And it's sort of in, we keep ourselves in a state of re-traumatization that way. So the last thing I want to say about that is, is even if We don't see any major traumas or even repetitive low-level traumas. The way we're socialized is a little bit traumatic for all of us. And part of our healing also means, can we stop installing or or sort of recreating that system of punishment, reward in the relationship to ourselves, especially as it shows up in our internal dialogue?
1: Yes. And so one thing that's so interesting, so that you're saying the survival and approval it's right at this time when we start to become aware of, look, if I do this, I get this positive um feedback from my parents is at the same time, you're also still very, very aware or becoming very aware that you need those parents to to stay alive. Absolutely. And so, how do you start to unwind that? So, I mean, yes, one of the big things people becoming aware of how mean and how much how punishing, we are, how is that, does that look in terms of mixed up with being survival, you know, as an adult?
2: It's a really powerful question. So there's a couple of things we can do. So as we started the podcast, we were talking about how the only reasons we have pain or suffering is because we have painful stories we're telling ourselves. Those so sort of painful belief patterns or thought patterns that accompany them or unmet needs and so if we want to heal that that deep desire for approval and that association we've made that link at a subconscious level we've made to survival what we actually have to do is change those beliefs and then we also have to be able to meet our own needs halfway see even if we change our belief patterns we're biologically wired for attachment so we'll always seek it to a certain degree and And what we have to be able to do is empower the relationship to ourselves so that we can give ourselves some of that encouragement, approval, so we don't feel overly dependent on the outcomes we have in our relationships to others. And so as we reprogram the belief, maybe, you know, I I won't survive without approval or people think I'm not good enough or those sort of self-judgments we make that are the output of that system. And then as we learn to meet some of our own needs over time, that's going to heal that original trauma. Yes. And
1: so can you give an example of like, what would that mean to meet your own needs
2: in that kind of case? Sorry, I'm always in specific. I'm like, I will. No, I love it. It's amazing. So I'll I'll do an example for both because both are really important. So when we're trying to reprogram the subconscious mind, especially at a belief level, the first thing we have to do is isolate the belief. So what is your belief Mm -hmm. about survival being linked to approval? Or what is your fear of not getting approval? What do you make that mean? And you might go, oh, I make that mean I'm not good enough. I make that mean I'll be abandoned. And and as we ask ourselves that question, we'll reach that core wound. And a lot of them are, I'll be rejected. I'll be abandoned. um, I'll be a failure. Something's wrong with me or I am defective. I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy. These kinds of things are the core beliefs. And whatever really resonates with us the most, then what we want to do is we want to use the conscious mind to reprogram the subconscious mind. And how we do that. Is we learn first and foremost that the subconscious mind does not speak English. It does not speak your native language, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, it speaks through the language of emotion and imagery. So when we try to do things like affirmations, for example, can be very limiting and even sort of pull us backwards sometimes if we're not careful because it's literally like if you and I were speaking, we speak two different languages. We're trying to communicate with each other. It can just be disempowering. So how we bypass that is, let's say we're working on the core belief, um, I am rejected. And let's say we want to feel I am accepted and we want to believe that we can be accepted by other people. Well, what we would do is instead of just saying, I'm accepted, I'm accepted, I'm accepted as an affirmation. We would look for evidence because evidence is basically a memory and all memory is colored with emotion. All memory has all emotion attached and all memory is in the form of an image. So if I'm looking for evidence of how I'll be accepted or how it's possible for me to be accepted, I might go, oh, well, I have these friends that I'm close with, or I had that conversation with somebody the other day and we kind of clicked, or I did this thing, I did that, and and we bring up these specific pieces of evidence, and all that evidence is imagery Plus emotion. So actually, we're using the conscious mind to speak the language of the subconscious mind. And as we do that, what we can do is we can use a tool called auto-suggestion for reprogramming. So the first hour we wake up and the last hour before we go to sleep, we're very suggestible. We're producing mostly alpha and theta brainwaves. So our, our mind is very open to suggestion. And during this time, We can we have sort of a better capacity. It's more easy to reprogram the subconscious so we can work on a belief and just literally once or twice a day for about 21 days research research shows we can say I can be accepted because and we pick 10 or 15 pieces of evidence on a daily basis. And if we rinse and repeat that for 21 days, the program becomes subconscious. If we rinse and repeat that for 63 days, the program almost reaches our unconscious mind. And at that point, um, we sort of get into a position where it's almost very difficult to reverse ever. Um, so, So that is the power of that. And then how we meet our own needs is we learn to write down on a piece of paper, when I'm feeling triggered. Okay, when I'm feeling triggered by a lack of acceptance in this specific example, um, what do I need from other people? And we can write out all the things we need from other people. And then what we want to do is we want to write out a strategy next to those things for how we can give those things to the relationship to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if I'm looking for encouragement or validation, or if I'm looking for connection or reassurance, you know, whatever I might need from other people, okay, what's a strategy for how I can give that to myself? And if we get into the habit of rinse and repeating that on a regular basis, those become our natural new subconscious operating systems that we use. Which really helps us to emotionally regulate and find healing.
1: Ah, so amazing! I love your examples; they're so clear. And what I what I want to um, just emphasize for people who are listening to this, because what happens is people are like, "Okay, I've uncovered the belief, and this is the new belief that I want to find," and then they go, and they maybe they'll find evidence of. Okay, yes, okay, instead of always feeling rejected in, you know, every time I walk into a group, noticing that actually, you know, four people looked and smiled at me and said hello, until I didn't respond, and then they turned away, right? (laughs) Noticing your own response, and how you shape what you expect. But it's what you're saying is, it's doing that again, and again, and again,
2: and again, like you are making your biceps strong. (laughs) <laughs> right? Exactly. exactly. And some people will say to me, like, what if I can't find any evidence? And sometimes when we have really programmed beliefs in a negative way, it will be really hard to find evidence. And if anybody ever faces that, they can look for what I say is start more general and get more specific. So let's say somebody's working on the core belief, I am good enough. And they're like, but I'm not, there's nothing about me that's good enough. And they're really stuck there, which is totally okay. If anybody's feeling that way, it's just sort of a a feedback system to let you know, you've probably been through a lot of trauma in that specific area. Um, But what we can do is we can start more general. So we can say, it's possible for me to be good enough. Mm -hmm. I am working to improve myself every day. And and we can do the auto-suggestion, like find 10 or 15 pieces of evidence daily in the morning or evening for those until we start to feel like some kind of resonance with them. Like, yeah, I'm actually seeing it's possible to be good enough. Or yeah, I really am noticing that I am getting better and better every day. And then we'll get closer to that program where we can go, I am good enough because. And so that's sort of just in case anybody gets stuck there.
1: Yes. And I love that because my experiences with people with affirmations, they try to say something and like, I'm amazing. And your brain goes, no, uh-uh. <laughs> you have gone your whole life. Like, I don't believe it. And so it's like, I am in the process of becoming or whatever. Amazing's a little too strong sometimes, but um Yes, it's I am in the process. And you, just that little the way I like to talk about it is that little feeling of opening inside your body. Like mm. that feeling of truth, even if you only have it for like five seconds, but that, oh, yeah, maybe that could be true.
2: Absolutely. And it's so funny you said that because before when I was saying, yeah, you can even do a little bit of a disservice if you're trying to use affirmations. That's exactly what you like. You hit the nail on the head because it goes, if we say, oh, I'm amazing. And then our subconscious mind has this emotional response that goes, no, we're absolutely not. Because the subconscious speaks through emotion, those feelings we feel are actually working to say, no, we're not amazing. So it's actually, it's sort of like reinforcing that original program that we were trying to escape in the first place. And I always give people the analogy. It's like, imagine like I'm coming to you for a job interview and let's say you you work in a corporation and I'm trying to get employed there. It's like, (laughs) you have to imagine you go in for your job interview and you're like, oh, why should you, you know, be interviewed for this position? And I just say, oh, because I'm good enough, because I'm good enough because I'm good enough, because I'm good enough. You're like, what? (laughs) Who is this person? But if you say, I'm good enough because I have this education and this background and this award, what we're doing is we're actually sharing those images and those feelings that we, we associate with those things. And that's how we actually sort of convince ourselves and others of these things. So it's really important to just remember that. Yes,
1: it's good. And it's really, and one of the things, again, to that you're talking about is finding evidence of it. We go through life seeing if the feeling is I'm not good enough. Really all you pick up on are all the times when somebody rejected you or you didn't actually meet it. And that becomes your truth. And then when you say, okay, now go find evidence of the opposite. People are sometimes like, well, I can't. And then you start leading them through. Well, what about, you know, Do your children love you? You know, are you able to do this? And it's starting to really um, understand that what you see is what you believe. If you're looking at the world of I am not good enough, that's all you're going to see.
2: And we have this mechanism in our brain. It's it's called the reticular activating system. And I think it's, most people are pretty familiar with it. And it's basically the filtering system of our brain. So like if we are constantly focused on the narrative, I'm not good enough or I'll be rejected or whatever it might be the reticular activating system actually filters out information according to that belief. So it's actually working to do that. And, and as we start to refeed new information, that's how the reticular activating system sort of tunes its dial towards seeing different things as well. So it sort of has this twofold impact. And I always tell people as well, like, one thing we have to ask ourselves is if I was wounded, if I, was, I went through trauma or a pain I couldn't properly emotionally process at the time when I was, let's say, eight years old. And now I'm in my 40s or now I'm, you know, how is it possible that that wound from all that time ago is still impacting us now? And what we know is that what we've had to be doing without our own awareness is firing and wiring that same narrative over and over and over again in the relationship to ourselves. So whenever we look at trauma, we go through trauma in princess, but for it to stay alive over years, months, weeks, decades, decades. We've actually had to be in a state of re-traumatization in the relationship to ourselves. So some really clear examples would be if we look at children who are emotionally neglected in childhood, you can bet that in their adult lives, they are massive neglecters of their own emotions because they're keeping that unmet need unmet. In the relationship to themselves. If we have this, this, oh, you know, I am unworthy of love, or I am a bad person, or whatever narratives and core wounds we carry, for that to still be alive and well, decades later well, you've been telling yourself that story in your internal dialogue over and over and over and over again. That's how those, we've been firing and wiring those paradigms. That's how they're still there. And so we want to recognize too that these core wounds that we have, we we haven't meant to be um, from a conscious perspective, but we've been keeping ourselves in that state of trauma on autopilot. And it's really important to want to recognize that so we can want to create change. Yeah. And... So
1: this example of you know if you were kind of neglected as a child by your parents or felt neglected, whatever it whatever it was, you know a lot of times let like people deal with you know if they're older, then they have siblings who come into the household um, who are born, and then they start to feel neglected even at that point. So one part of their brain can say, "Well, no, my parents were great; they took care of me." Well. Our, there's the piece of you, the two-year-old piece of you that says, oh my gosh, they've completely abandoned me and left me.
2: (laughs) Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and when we look at like big core wounds of abandonment, neglect, things like this, it's not, it's not just actual physical abandonment. It's perceived abandonment. It's perceived neglect. And it sort of boils back down to that idea of the car. Like the, the more emotion we have, we might have even buried that experience. So we might've gone, We might have forgotten when we were two years old, if we had a sibling come along, that at two years old, we felt completely neglected and betrayed that our our parents were, you know, checking in with a new child and paying more attention to that child over us. We might have buried that. We might have no conscious recollection of it. But the way that we can know whether we have these core wounds or not is what are the patterns of the stories we tell ourselves now? When we get triggered by things in our relationships, in our workplace, in the relationship to the To oneself, what are the narratives that come up? And if we look, we all have specific patterns of them. And we don't necessarily have to be like, oh, yes, I have that repressed memory at two years old from two to three, I felt betrayed and abandoned. It's okay if we don't remember. All that matters is that we take care of those narratives now and that we're undoing that work and no longer keeping ourselves in that state of re traumatization.
1: So, just to so if you've got it and you realize, okay, this came up because I must have been probably because I felt abandoned when my parents started paying attention to the kids. So take us through that. In that situation, you would start to say, well, I'm not, I am safe. People don't abandon. I mean, how would you, what is the belief that you ask of,
2: often see that people want to work towards in that case? It's a great question. So I found that there's basically like 18 major core wounds. And by core wounds, I mean like the same patterns of meaning. If you can imagine something bothers you and you keep digging and digging into it, Mm -hmm. like let's say, for example, we go, I'm going to be late to work and I'm nine out of 10 triggered. And you're going, okay, well, I'm disproportionately reacting to the fact that I'm going to be late to work. I shouldn't really realistically feel nine out of 10 triggered. So what do I make that mean that I'm going to be late to work? Oh, I make it mean that. Um, my boss is going to judge me. Okay, great. And then what do I make that mean? Well, I make it mean that he's going to humiliate me in front of all my coworkers with his judgment. Okay. And then what do you make that mean? I make it mean that, you know, I'm defective. People are going to think that I'm defective or I make it mean, for example, um, that I'm then going to lose my job and I'm going to be out on the streets and I'm going to be unsafe. So as we keep digging in the I am core beliefs, there's some really major ones. When it comes to abandonment um, or or things with other children, some big ones that we'll see in terms of the core I am beliefs that we reach in that context will be exactly what you said. I am unsafe because we have that biological fear of abandonment triggered. Um, I am unloved. So if we feel like, oh, this new child is getting all this love, we can feel like that. I'm not good enough or I am unworthy. Um, I am being rejected. Um, And and wherever we have these different dynamics, other core core wounds that come with it too are I am excluded, I am disliked. Um, So you can think of these as sort of being the bottom rung of the ladder, painful pieces of meaning that we'll carry into our different relationships. And those are the really major ones there that we'll see in that type of context. And then what we would do is we would work to actually reframe into the exact opposite. So I am safe. I am accepted. I am liked I am lovable. I am included, these sorts of things. And then we can plug, I mean, there's so many different reprogramming tools, but a really great starter one is auto-suggestion. And that's where we plug that 10 to 15 pieces of evidence in a day um, relative to the new cognitive reframe that we've created. And we rinse and repeat that. And we actually get to alleviate that that wound. And we get to take ourselves out of that state of re-traumatization. And then remember, like the same theme is that It exists within the core wounds, but it also exists within the unmet needs. So we can look, I always get people when they're starting their their self-work to ask themselves the question, what are the most painful stories I tell about myself over and over again? And what were the greatest unmet needs I had from my childhood? And how am I still not meeting those needs in the relationship to myself? And, and so, you know, some people felt, like we said, neglected, and then they emotionally neglect themselves. Some people felt um, taken advantage of or betrayed. And, and people with the the taken advantage of wound... They are always the people taking advantage of themselves to try to gain favor with others, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's all these parallels. So exactly what will trigger you in your outside world will be a direct representation of patterns that we're carrying in our subconscious level within our inside world, and it's a powerful opportunity to to look inwards and to see these things. And, and we have to remember all of our external experiences that causes pain or suffering. They're just trying to wake us up to ourselves. And from there, we can start doing this work and and really relieving ourselves of these painful re-traumatization patterns.
1: Yes. And, you know, so it's like for this example of people who are unworthy are constantly then not stepping up for themselves and doing what it is that they want to do for themselves. And they sort of stay in this shame and, guilt and I am unworthy uh, and repeating that
2: pattern. 100%. And, and literally every single person I've ever seen. And I mean this without exception, they, if, if I have a core wound, I am unworthy. Two things are likely happening. Number one, a variation of this is for sure happening. Number one, I'm telling myself the story. I'm unworthy in some form. I'm having thoughts like, Oh, it's cause I'm not worthy. Um, or I am constantly behaviorally trying to earn my worth. I'm constantly Mm -hmm. trying to overgive. I'm constantly trying to overcompensate. And what am I doing in the relationship to myself every time I do that? I'm saying to myself, I'm not worthy. I have to overcompensate for my lack of worthiness. And and doing that, we have to imagine if we externalize that. And we had a friend following us around all day being like, oh my gosh, you got to earn your worth with this person here. You better really overcompensate because they're a lot better than you. You know, if, if if somebody was constantly following us around doing that, trying to make us behave that way, we would feel like that person's like attacking us. And we're really diminishing us. And so we have to be aware that if we're carrying those wounds, we're likely behaviorally recreating them in the relationship to ourselves as well.
1: Yes, it's so crazy. And it, it it's so clear when you break it down like this. But when you're in it and living it, it can often just feel like this huge tangle of, oh, my gosh, I just don't feel good.
2: Right? <laughs> like, yes. Sure. And and when we learn really truly when we learn any reason we don't feel good is because we have unmet needs or we have painful stories that we're telling ourselves and we just hone in and we ask ourselves like okay what is the painful narrative that that's here for me or a combination of narratives And then what is the unmet need? If we keep digging into that and we we really master those, it's very difficult to stay stuck emotionally because we start using our emotions as the exact feedback mechanisms that they're meant for. And we can empower ourselves through doing that. That's that's the only reason emotions exist in the first place. And they never lie. They are completely accurate 100% of the time, just not for the reasons we think. It's not accurate because that person shouldn't have cut us off while we're driving and they're wrong and they're bad. It's accurate because when somebody cuts us off when we're driving, we go, I am unsafe in the world. Everybody's a bad driver. I'm not going to, you know, and, and we give it scary meaning based on our own wounds. And that emotional feedback system is literally just showing us ourselves, showing us our own wounds. Yes, uh, I love this.
1: And we, we're, we're getting very close to the end, but I, what's your experience then? I mean, you have a million, okay, I'm over-exaggerating. You have lots of different uh, modalities of working with, and so a lot of this is working with the brain and with autosuggestion and all of that. With the subconscious, do you do you also often work with people in terms of, um, you know, things more like hypnosis or other sort of brain kind of patterning patterning in that
2: way? Does yeah. that help with it, or what's your what's your experience? Yeah, absolutely. So this is really interesting. So I um, did a whole certification in hypnosis, and I did work with people and hypnotize them for a while. Hypnosis is a really cool process. Um, and it's really unique in the fact that it, it can really help us retrieve big memories. But one thing I found doing that work, and I'd already been running my practice at the time and, and done a whole bunch of other um, education and certifications. So I was sort of taking this on. And what I found, and, and one of the rules we have when when we're taught to, to hypnotize people is people have to follow up their, um, hypnosis sessions with something called post-hypnotic suggestion. So they actually have to actually keep like basically doing auto-suggestion for it to stay. And I would notice with myself and other colleagues, if, if, Individuals didn't do that. They could have the most amazing like hypnosis session, breakthrough, like wow, tears, realizations, and that's beautiful. But it wouldn't last. And so, part of what I really set out to do is like really educate people on how to understand their own subconscious mind and how to use the the tools that are there and, and the mechanisms that are inherently built into our minds to understand themselves. And and to understand how reprogramming works and to understand how they can actually show up and change things that they don't like so that while we can do hypnosis and it's beautiful, you know, if something comes up in our lives three years later that is unrelated or if something shows up for us on on a random Tuesday and we're like, what is this? We actually always have that toolkit to be able to dissect what's going on and to actually find a solution and relieve ourselves. And I found that to be um, more empowering for people long-term. So, they weren't reliant or dependent on hypnosis. Um, And again, we don't really need to retrieve memories as long as we know the patterns and wounds or unmet needs, Um, like the belief patterns, the core I am wounds or the unmet needs that are connected to those memories. And we can always find them just by noticing the patterns we have of stories we tell or unmet needs in the relationship to ourselves now. So, I, I love of hypnosis i think it's wonderful but i think that it's more empowering to teach people how to use their own mind
1: yes yes and it's also again coming back to right as you said it just involves then the repeated uh looking at again and going down a different pathway than the one that you've been going down and so doing it once you get the realization but not necessarily the rewiring exactly yeah. Exactly. Well, it has been really a delight to, to talk to you. I love how clear you are um, with all this. Can you remind people again, where they can learn more about you and, um, and your work and what you do with people?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, YouTube, I put out da- daily, free content. It's personal development school dash Gibson. And then for a much deeper dive into um, sort of the mind and all the tools and how everything works, I, I have the personal development school. I've, written and recorded about 40 courses in there. And um, I do four live webinars a week with people of our community. And um, every course comes with like a 15 page workbook and how to reprogram. It's sort of like personal development for your subconscious mind. And that's www.personaldevelopmentschool.com.
1: That is fabulous. Thank you so much. It's been very, very fun talking to you. Thank you.
2: And Thank listeners, you. It's been amazing chatting with you. Thank you so much. Yes, it's been really
1: fun. I have about a trillion other questions I want to ask you, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> listeners, thanks to you for showing up for yourself. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change
0: and transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.